Uh, see you tonight. Uh, my name's uh, Kevin, and uh, we're going to be looking at that passage uh, together from Ephesians chapter 2, so it'd be great if you had that out. Uh, hopefully you'll find my sermon outline helpful. Uh, I'll, um, I'll put an outline up in a minute on the screen, right, so you can copy it down. So uh, that's, that's how it works. Uh, but I'm going to lead us in prayer and uh, ask that God again would help us as we look at his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that we can meet together as your people. And Father, we thank you uh, for your great love for us. And Father, as we, as we know that and are reminded of that tonight, may you shape and change us to be more like your Son. And may we live for you in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to uh, imagine the scene for a moment that you go to the doctor for your yearly checkup. Right? I don't know if you have a yearly checkup, but just imagine you do. Right? You go to the doctor and he sits you down and says, Well, look, I've got good news. And I've got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? All right, so quick survey. Who would rather hear the good news first? Oh, there you go. Okay, four. All right. Yeah, okay. What about the bad news? There you go, overwhelmingly. The bad news wins. Well, what we see in the book of Ephesians, so which we're looking at this term in church, is we see the Apostle Paul gives us both good news and bad news. But he doesn't give us the choice, which one we hear first. He's already written the letter. And he starts with the good news, right? Chapter 1, overwhelmingly positive, right? In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're reminded of that great power that we saw at Jesus' resurrection, the power that now works in us, right? Chapter 1, overwhelmingly good news, but then brings us to chapter 2, right? Verse 1 to 10, we're looking at today in the first part. Verse 1 to 3 is the bad news, right? So that's the first part of our talk, the bad news. And it's pretty bad, right? Imagine you know, the doctor, he says, look, do you want the good news, the bad news? You say, doc, give me the bad news. He says, well, it's pretty bad. You're already dead, right? That's the kind of sense of what Paul says. But then brings us, chapter, sorry, verse 4 to 10, the second part, the good news, right? And we can look forward to seeing that. But to really understand why that good news is so good, we need to start by thinking about why the bad news is so bad. And so we're going to dive straight in chapter 2, verse 1. So look within there, 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So you can see here, Paul is writing to this group of Christians in Ephesus, and he wants them to think back to their life before they became Christians. Right? You see that? He says, you were dead in this life. You previously walked. Think about that life uh, before they were Christians. And his assessment is pretty bleak. Right? He says, you were dead. Right? Pretty bleak kind of assessment. But that's a pretty striking thing to say. Just imagine for a moment you invented a time machine, right? Kind of useful for invest. Yeah, invented a time machine. You go back to first century Ephesus, you track down these people before they became Christians, and you looked at them, you would look at them and say they were alive. Right? They look pretty alive. They're walking around, their heart is beating, their brain is ticking, they are alive. Well, no, the Apostle Paul says they were dead. Right? It's a reminder that when it comes to God, he's concerned with more than just our physical health. 
he's concerned with our spiritual health. And in particular, he's concerned about the way we relate to him. See, God made us as his creatures. He made us to love him with all our heart. And he made us to love others as ourselves. But the reality is we fall short of this. So take, for example, these Ephesian Christians. Right? Paul says, well, previously you walked in sin. Now, to, to walk, it's a common metaphor used in the Bible to describe our way of life. And these Ephesians, they were walking, their life was in sin, right? In rebellion to God. They failed to love him. They failed to love others. And he also says they were walking in trespasses, right? They'd broken God's holy law. And because of this, they were dead, right? Notice not just they will be dead, they will face God's judgment. No, they were already dead because of their sin. But notice in the passage there's more of the story. See, they walk in sin, verse 2, according to the ways of this world. It's a reminder that the world that we live in, the society, well, it influences people. If you think about our world today, 21st century Sydney, the world around us, it doesn't exactly encourage us to love God and love others, does it? No, it encourages us to love the things of this world, the things that God has made, and to ignore God. And our culture encourages to look out for number one for ourselves at the expense of others. And it was the same for the Ephesians. A surrounding culture did not encourage them to live God's way, not encourage them to walk in sin. But you can see there's more to the story again. Again, verse 2, they walked in sin according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedience. Right, a reference to, well, to Satan, the enemy of God. So if you get back into your time machine that you've invented and you go back to first century Ephesus and you find these group of people, you would look at them and think, okay, they're ordinary, everyday people making ordinary, everyday decisions. But no, what this passage reminds us is that previously walking in sin, they were walking according to the authority of Satan, right? They were under the influence of him which is a pretty striking thing to say, isn't it? And if you think about the implications in our context, what it means, those outside of Christ that we see in our world today, they might look like ordinary, everyday people, but actually this passage reminds us that they are dead. Right? They are dead in sin. They walk according to the ways of this world and they walk under the authority of Satan. What we see as we look at our world around us, we see that it is dead in sin. And it's really important for us as Christians to to see the world rightly, to see it according to the Word of God. But actually, the, the thrust of the passage is not to understand the world around us, right? Paul is reminding the Ephesian Christians of their life before they became Christians, right? Verse 1, you, you. You were dead, right? That's what Paul wants them to do, to think back to their previous life, to remember that outside of Christ they were dead, so that 
they can understand the wonderful good news that will come. And it's the same for us, right? If we want to understand just how wonderful the good news is that Paul will share, well, first, we need to reflect just how bad the bad news really is. We need to think about, well, the ways that we struggle with sin, the way that we, well, without Christ, would be dead in our sin, right? We might like to look back to the time before we became a Christian to reflect on our life then, but we can also reflect on our life now. See, as Christians, we know we continue to struggle with sin. We continue to, well, to fail to love God with all our hearts and we fail to love others as ourselves. And it's really important for us as Christians to, to understand the depth and the seriousness of our own sin before God. And one thing that will really help us come to terms with this is what Paul says next in verse 3. Right, look there, verse 3, and you can see there's a bit of a change, actually. See, verse 1 and 2, Paul's been talking particularly to the Gentiles, right? You Gentiles were dead, but now, verse 3, there's a change. We, verse 3, we too. Paul's talking about himself and the Jews in particular. We too all previously lived among them, the Gentiles, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Now Paul's point here is to remind his readers that Jew and Gentile alike are under sin. Together they are children under wrath. But in what he says about the Jews, it's a reminder for us that God just doesn't see our actions, the things that we do, but he also sees our thoughts our desires, the inclinations of our flesh, our sinful nature, the way that we rebel against God. And when you just consider that for a moment, that God sees into our hearts, well, it becomes much easier for us to appreciate the depth and the seriousness of our sin. See, if you think back to our life, whether before Christ or we think of the way we struggle in sin now, right? We can think of actions, things we've done, right? The way that we've, you know, spoken that harsh word, the way that we've got angry or whatever it is. But once we start to think about our thoughts, the way that we've harbored pride in our heart, our lustful thoughts, the way that we've despised others, well, we're reminded of the the depth of our sin, right? A reminder that without Christ, without his forgiveness, then we really would be dead in our sin. But we can also think of the things that we have failed to do. See, God made us to love others, and yet it's not that hard to think back of times when we have failed to do that. Or we've failed to speak the word we know we should have. We failed to show love and compassion to those around us. And we can think of the ways that we've failed to love and honour God. The times that we focused on the things of this world and ignored Him. The times we failed to give thanks and honour to Him. So I think it's really important for us as Christians to reflect on the depth of our own sin, the ways that we fall short. The ways that without Jesus, 
we would be dead in our sin. Now, it's worth saying, I mean, talk about sin, it's not always the most popular thing to do, right? Sometimes people complain about church. They say church, you know, always so negative, talking about sin and judgment. But it's important that we're shaped by God's word in this, to really be honest before God and to realize the depth and the seriousness of our sin. But one thing that will really help us in this, as we reflect on ourselves, was also to look to Jesus, right? Because when we look at Jesus, when we see his life before us in the Gospels, there we see the one person who always lived God's way, the one person who always loved others. See, what we tend to do, right, is we reflect on our life, right, and we think of our sin, but then we think, well, it can't, it can't be that bad. I mean, at least I'm better than Vincent, right? And it's not that hard to think of someone who we think is worse than us, Okay, Vincent, pretty good example, right? <laughs> and so I think of my life, I think the ways I struggle, and I think, well, at least I'm not as bad as Vincent. But, but actually much more right is that we compare ourselves to Jesus because it's in him we see God's standard lived out. And as we compare ourselves to him, well, the reality is, is that we fall short. But it's also as we look at Jesus, as we think about God, we think about the way that he is holy and perfect and pure, we recognize that our sin is abhorrent to him, that he hates sin. I mean, think what it took for for God to secure our forgiveness. It took Jesus' death on the cross. See, I think as Christians, as we mature and grow... A sign of maturity is that we struggle more with sin than when we first began. That seems like a funny thing to say, isn't it? I mean, you'd imagine as you grow as a Christian, you would become more godly, right? More like Jesus. And I hope that's true. But see, also as we grow as a Christian, we become more aware of the sin in our hearts. And certainly we become more aware of how holy God is of how perfect he is and the way that our sin deserves death. But as we reflect on sin, there is a particular danger for us, I think, particularly as those who are part of church. See, the danger is, as we hear about sin, well, there can be this growing sense of apathy, Right? We can know these things in our head. If we had a you know, multiple choice exam, you'd circle the answer. Yes, I am sinful. Yes, my sin deserves death. Right? You can get the right answer 100% in the test. But if you're really honest, you just don't really care. Right? You think of your sin and you think, well, yeah, okay, it's bad. But I tried to stop and, well, didn't really work. And by the way, Jesus washes us clean anyway. So who really cares? I think this is a real danger for us, that we can become apathetic. We can just not care about our sin. We can know it's a reality, but we don't feel any sorrow over the way we fail to live God's way. And it could be for you that you you recognize that in your life. Right? Perhaps you're just sort of starting down that track. You think, yeah, perhaps I have become a little apathetic about my sin. And I hope this passage really speaks to you to remind you that without Jesus, without his forgiveness, that you would be dead in your sin. 
But for some of us, well, it could be a longer-term problem. Right? Perhaps it's been a long time since we've really felt any sorrow over our sin. Our heart has been hardened by apathy and we've just stopped caring about these things. Well, if that's you, I hope this, this passage really speaks to you. Right? It reminds you of the depth and the seriousness of your sin. That you would come before God and confess your apathy. That you would confess your sin that you would pour out your heart before God, that you would feel sorrow in your heart, that you would really feel the weight of your sin against you. Because it's only as we understand how bad the bad news is, as we really come to terms with our sin in the past and in the present, as we really just how desperate our plight is, it's only then... Can we appreciate the most wonderful words that you will ever hear? Look with me there, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Right now, as you hear those words, aren't they the most wonderful words that you would ever hear? Right? Particularly as we reflect on the bad news, the way that without Christ we would be dead in our sin. Or to hear this wonderful news that in the Messiah, in Christ Jesus, we have been made alive. Right? How incredible is that news? And I hope that as you will reflect on your sin that you would come back to that great news, the great promise of the gospel, that in Jesus we have been made alive in Christ. But as we hear this this great news of verse 4 and 5, well, we might ask the question, a good question, of how, right? How are we made alive in Christ? And you might expect the Apostle Paul at this point to talk about Jesus' death. Right, to talk about the way that Jesus has died in our place. Right, that, would, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But no, he actually does something a little bit different. Right, Verse 6, look there, verse 6. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. See, Paul here is talking about the resurrection. And in fact, the words that he uses, well, I hope, sound a little bit familiar to you. Right, Let me put a Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 on the screen right we looked at this last week and uh, so God demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens right we looked at this last week God's power shown uh, in Jesus when God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand right so where is Jesus now well he's in heaven right seated at the right hand of the Father. Now just keep that in the forefront of your mind. Now show me, I'll show you again verses, chapter 2, verse 6. Right? Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. So we could ask the question, right? Jesus is in heaven, well, where are we? Now, in one sense, the answer is obvious, right? We're sitting in a church in Carlton in the year 2017, right? That's where we are. Well, actually, 
the passage says that, no, we've been raised with Jesus, right? We've been joined to him, we've been united to him, and so we're with him, right? Where Jesus is, well, that's where we are. Right, now this, this is meant to blow your mind, right? So don't worry if you get confused by this. You're actually in two places at the same time, right? Physically, you're here in Carlton, but as you're joined to Jesus, you're with him in heaven. Now, there is a sense in which we look forward to this future reality, right? As Christians, we look forward to the resurrection. We will be raised physically, and there we will live with Jesus forever, right? It will be great. That's what we're looking forward to. But there's also a sense in this passage that now we are with Jesus. Now, because we are in Christ, because we are with him, they are, sorry, we are seated with him in the heavens. And that's amazing, isn't it? To think about the, the wonder of, of God's goodness to us, that he would raise us with Christ. But do you notice in the passage the reason for that, right? Look there, verse 7, the reason. He's done this, he's made us alive, he's raised us up. Verse 7, so that... In the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Right? He's done this to showcase his grace. Now, just come back to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Right? If you want to know where God's power is, if you want to see an example of that, where do you look? To Jerusalem, right? 33 AD, to the empty tomb, right? That's where you see God's power demonstrated when God raised Jesus to life, right? Now we could ask the question, well, where do we see God's grace displayed? Right? Where do we see God's grace? Well, 2017, Carlton, in a church building, in you, right? In this congregation, that's where we see God's grace displayed. Now, before you get ahead of yourself, right? Don't get too big-headed at this point, right? It's not that it's this congregation only and no others. No, it's a description of the, the people of God. But we also just need to remember the logic of, of why we see God's grace. It's because you were dead, right? You were dead in your sin, but now God has made you alive in Jesus. That's why we see God's grace displayed in you. Because you were dead, but now have been made alive. And in fact, Paul makes it crystal clear, it's not because of you at all. Right? Look, verses 8 and 9. Paul's very clear here. Verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Right? Very clearly, you haven't been alive because of the, the works that you've done, the good things that you've done, the, the family you were born to, anything like that. No, it is by God's grace, by his kindness to you. There is no reason to boast. You were dead, right? There's nothing you could do. You were dead. It was all God who made you alive. And we see in these verses the way that, well, this comes to us, it comes through faith. Right? It comes as we recognize that we were dead and we trust in the promise of God, as we put our faith, our trust in Jesus. But what you'll see in verses 8, 9 and 10, right, kind of fits together, section 8 to 10, is that, that Paul gives us a different reason 
or another reason for why God has done this, right? So remember verses 4 to 7 kind of fits together. God has made us alive so that we might display his grace, right? But now look verse 10, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for, well, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. See, God has made us alive in Christ so that we should walk no longer in sin, but in good works, right? We should live in a way that pleases God. And we're going to be thinking much more about, well, what are those good works that God would have us live or walk in uh, later on in the book of Ephesians, right? Basically, the way Ephesians works, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about what God has done, about the gospel, about God's grace, about theology, and then chapters 4, 5, 6 that we'll come to are all about the Christian life, right? How we live in response to that. So we're going to think much more about, well, what are the good works that God has prepared for us later on? But as we look at this passage in particular, the point is to see God's grace, right? And for us to really take that to heart. So we could ask then, what's the, what's the take-home message? What's the application for us? Well, it kind of depends a little bit on who you are, right? So if you're a Christian, someone who already knows Jesus, someone who knows the wonderful forgiveness of our sin, well, what does this passage remind us of? Well, it reminds us of God's grace. I'd encourage you to, to think back to your life before you became a Christian. Encourage you to reflect on your sin in the present, Remember that without Jesus, that you would be dead in your sin. And so to marvel again at the wonderful good news of the gospel, right? That in Christ, we have been made alive. Not because of what we have done, but because of God's kindness to us. And it's really important for us as Christians that we continue to have before our eyes the the wonder of God's grace. Because this really is the, the engine room of the Christian life. Right, later on, we're going to get to the kind of practical application of how to use our words and all those kinds of things, right? But before we get there, we really need to get our heads around God's grace. Because as we know what God has done for us, that is the thing that will, will motivate us and drive us to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Right, so that's the kind of take-home message for the Christian, right? To, to again, marvel at the wonder of God's grace. But what about to those who aren't Christian, right? To those who are, are not yet followers of Jesus. What's the sort of take-home message for you? Well, I could ask you do, you, want, do you want the good news first or would you rather the bad news? Right, you don't actually get a choice. The majority was the bad news anyway, so I'm going to give that to you, right? What's the bad news? Well, you are dead in sin, right? Now, I realise that's a pretty pretty stark thing to say right but well it's hard to say any other way isn't it having looked at this passage together i hope you're you know at least for being honest right god's assessment you are dead in your sin but alongside the bad news comes the good news right the good news that jesus came into our world that he lived a perfect life, that he died in our place, that God raised him to life again, 
And the promise of the gospel is that anyone who comes to Jesus in faith, anyone who puts their trust in his promise, well, they will be joined to Jesus and they will be made alive. Their sin is forgiven and they are made alive with Jesus. And so look forward to life forever with him. In this passage, we see the bad news. But it's as we reflect on the bad news that reminded of just how wonderful the good news of Jesus is. How about I lead us in prayer and give thanks for that. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, the one who sees into our hearts. And Father, we pray that we would be honest about our sin. Help us to see the ways that we have failed to love you with all our hearts, the way that we have failed to love others as ourselves. And Father, we know that by ourselves that we are dead. And so, Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to die in our place. We thank you that you raised him to life again. And that wonderful promise that we can be joined to him, that our sin can be forgiven. And so we can look forward to life forever with you. And Father, we pray that we would marvel at your grace. And that for many of us, all of us, that we come to put our trust in Jesus. And we accept the wonderful promises that you make to us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.